Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. It's like, I always love it when you wear that hat. Oh, yeah. It's it's my favorite hat. This is, a, I got this in um, Whitefish. In Whitefish, yep. On a gravel so, adventure. It's got the poppies on it. Yeah, yeah, so. I do love it. And also my hair is really great right now. <laughs> I'm trying to decide if I'm going to let it go. Oh, man, I, I, I would let it go. But that's because I don't get to have gray hair. So I know. And you have blonde hair. And it's I know. Awful. Story it's a whole different story it is so I get it but brown. my sister has the most beautiful silver hair and I'm just I'm always so envious and it's been like that but anyway no I get I it so I'm like I almost let did it go. during the pandemic but and I regret kind of regret not doing it, it then I'm just, yeah it's like people that color their hair will understand this but it's not cut like the color isn't it's going really quickly now and I don't like I use something natural I don't like to use a lot of chemicals yeah anyway anyway that's exciting stuff so speaking of gravel adventures, uh, hopefully you're going to be able to come too, but we're yeah. taking a gravel adventure to Ketchum, Idaho this summer. It's going to be amazing. Um, there's a big group of us that planning on going, and then we ended up deciding not to do the gravel festival this year for multiple reasons. And we were like, hey, let's just all meet up and catch them. So anybody that wants to go to Ketchum, Idaho for Rebecca's Private Idaho uh, Labor Day weekend, we're going to do a lot of meetup things and... Maybe even have a few things in the works for that event. And I have a discount code. Uh, Yay. It's 20% off registration. It will be in the show notes because it's kind of a little bit funky. But check the show notes. Come out and join us. If it's a bucket list event you've always wanted to go to, like there will be a whole group of us out there. I'll be out there for a whole week. Um, and we, <laughs> we we have bad dogs going on right now. <laughs> I know, we Between do. Me and you, it's like they're ready to go. <laughs> but Yes. Come join us. And and you get to hear specifically from Rebecca Rush today. So it's exciting. All right. We're going to go because the dogs are going crazy. And we'll get on the interview <laughs> Rebecca Rush. Hey, all. It's your editor, Lindsay, here. I want you to get ready to ante up for the ultimate gravel challenge this summer. Join us at the 2024 Trans Rockies Gravel Royale 
where adventure awaits in the breathtaking Canadian Rockies. Experience the thrill of a unique three-day stage race surrounded by stunning scenery on secluded gravel roads in the British Columbia backcountry. With two distance options, the full pint or half pint distances, there's a challenge for every level of rider. And forget about logistics, Trans Rockies has you covered. Fully supported with tents, meals, aid stations, technical support, and even massage services. So all you have to do is focus on the ride. You'll stay at the picturesque Nipica Mountain Resort, nestled in the heart of the Rockies, and celebrate your achievements with daily podium awards, group dinner, and custom design memorabilia. After the ride, you can unwind at Chillville with cold refreshments, music, games, and camaraderie with your fellow riders. Don't miss out on this epic adventure. Register now at transrockiesgravelroyale.com and use the code ggg 24 GR100 to save $100 off your entry. The link and discount codes will be in the show notes of this episode. Embrace the challenge, conquer the gravel, and create memories that will last a lifetime. So go all in with us for Trans Rockies Gravel Royale this August. Are you starting? (laughs) You're starting. (laughs) All right. We are really excited about today's guest. Super excited. I would say it's somebody that's been an inspiration to me in gravel cycling from the very beginning. Um, I would say this is somebody that changed the trajectory of my life. So yeah, pretty, pretty exciting. (laughs) Well, we have Rebecca Rush joining us. Rebecca, thanks for being here. Oh, I've been waiting for this for a while. I'm really excited. Thank you. It's pretty special. Yeah. Okay. You have a long history in (laughs) sports, uh, all kinds of sports, uh, and quite adventurous things, but we want to hear kind of what led you to the bike? How did that happen? I said earlier before we started recording, that could be the whole podcast maybe, Um, (laughs) but there is a book if people want to read the whole story. So. (laughs) Yeah, it's in, so I got into cycling and most people don't know this who maybe have come into my world um sort of in the yeah, in the last 10 or 15 years. Um I started cycling at age 38 really, um professionally. And before that, I was a rock climber, runner, I've always been an athlete, adventure racer. Um and so athletes athletics have been a part of my life since high school. And the bike you know, I did adventure racing, which was a multi-sport, multi-team sort of traveling around the world, doing big expeditions that are like seven and 10 days. And there was cycling in that, but I was so bad. It was my worst discipline. It was only like part of this sort of event that I had to do. And I was terrible at it. And, um, but all the other things, running, paddling, adventure sports were in my wheelhouse. And, I found cycling at 38, really after a friend of mine died in one of the adventure races I was in, was killed by Rockfall, and there was a big sort of questioning of why am I doing this? You know, I don't do sports to risk my life. I do sports to elevate my life. And so there was a real like soul searching at that point. And um, at the same time, we lost as a team, our title sponsor. and. Um, 
I was kind of like, okay, now I have to get a real job. And I'd been an athlete, a professional athlete for 10 years at that point and managing a team and, you know, dealing with the finances, getting all the sponsors. And so it was a real eye opener. And, and really what happened, and I love this story, is a few girlfriends from Idaho were like, this was October, and they're like, just come to Moab with us. Let's do a 24 hour team. And I live in Ketchum, Idaho. They're like, we'll call it Ketchum if you can. And we'll just ride our bikes in the desert. It'll be amazing. And it was three other girlfriends. And I was like, I'm lousy at riding a bike, but okay, I'll come. And we just went to the desert and just had this like ride and rode around in circles, you know, for 24 hours. And our team, you know, won the amateur division and I ended up having the fastest lap times of any female on the course, but given I was running all the technical, <laughs> I was so bad. I just like shoulder my bike, get off, I'd run. And I just like, you know, and it was what I needed to just fuel my competitive spirit and like get some demons out and, but spend time with girlfriends in the desert, just riding bikes and that launched a bike career. You know, my now husband, Greg, he was our support crew. And um, he's like, maybe you should do 24 hours solo racing. And I'm like, I can't ride a bike. He's like, yeah, but you could do all the other stuff because um, 24 hours was short for me. Um, the races I've been doing were seven days long. And so the next race I did, um, he helped me and he was already doing the sport and he kind of, he said, I'll crew for you. I'll, you know, ride the sections with you. I was like, okay. And the second race I did, I actually beat the whole field, including the men. And it was just like, so I went to my remaining sponsors. I'm like, well, maybe I'll be a bike racer now. And they're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, it was ridiculous. The first article. So the third race I did was national championships. And I won that 24 hour nationals. And it was sort of like, partially I was good at going long. There weren't a lot of women involved, which I'm happy to see that's changed, you know, and, and I was used to riding all night. Like that wasn't a problem to stay up or learn how to fuel myself or any of those other things. So I definitely couldn't technically ride a bike, um, but I could do all the other stuff. And so, I mean, I tell that story because in the first article that was written about me, my fourth race was world championships and I got second. And then there's an article written about me called winning ugly. So it's like, I get the first like media I get as a cyclist is basically saying how terrible I am at, at riding a bike, how technically bad. <laughs> And I'm like, how is she winning races? Cause it looks really ugly was pretty much what they said. And, and it's true. Technically wasn't a great rider. Um, but I had the other stuff and I tell that story one, cause I started late. I started age 38 and that launched a more successful athletic career than I had before. And I couldn't do the thing that I was being a professional athlete at technically was not good at it. Um, but was good at other things. And so I liked it. And third, I found the sport through women just being like, come ride with me, you know? So all those things put together really launched, um, the, this whole second half of my career that's been longer and more successful and, and more amazing than the first part of my professional athlete career. So that was a long story of getting into cycling, but it really leads to the fact of, and I've done a lot of races and a lot of events and a lot of exploration, but I'm, always about inviting people to come 
it's why I launched Private Idaho. It's what the Be Good Foundation is about. It's what a lot of my work is about is actually inviting people and especially women to the party because I most of the sports I've done, I was often the only female. Rock climbing, you know, adventure racing, it's teams of four with one woman, you know. Um, well, they have to be co-ed teams. And so it, usually most teams did one women, three man. We flipped that switch and had three women, one man teams. I've done women's 24 hour mountain bike teams, all because I, I want to show women that sport is such that anyone can do it, first of all, and that sport is our practice field for life. There is no other thing I found where you can practice resilience, you can practice fear, you can build your community, you can, mm -hmm. you know, set goals. There's no other playing field to practice life. And so that's really what sport is for me um, in a lot of ways. And so that was only one question that you just asked. I know, <laughs> but a long answer. Um, and yeah. And how I found cycling and I still do all the other sports and people will say, well, why cycling? And what I really love about the bike is one, it's a, it's a worldwide accepted tool. You know, you can go to Laos, Vietnam, Africa, you can go anywhere and people understand a bike as transportation, as a journey, as you're going somewhere. And, and I love how far you can go on a bike, you know, you, you can't, you can't go that far on foot or paddling your limited to a river. And the bike is just such a beautiful tool um, for mobility and for moving around in such a great space. What else are we going to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, Alrighty then. <laughs> that <was a> <laughs> I'm <just> <laughs> Christy isn't often without words. Come on. <laughs> but we have a really cool shared history that, um, you know, would be great to touch on. And, and I, I'm honored that I'm been an inspiration for both of you. And Christy said that I changed her life. Well, um, unbound changed my life and you yeah. changed my life as well. And, you know, 20, I was a mountain bike racer, you know, 24 hour <laughs> mountain bike racer. And, and 2012, I was actually forced to go to this gravel thing in the middle of nowhere in Kansas, <laughs> um, forced by a sponsor to go do this race unbound. And the distance wasn't at all scary to me. I'm like, okay, 12 hours, no big deal. Like, but I was honestly thought it was going to be death by boredom of, cause I don't road race. I don't like road racing. I don't want anything to do with road racing. And, you know, I sort of had this attitude and, and, nobody knew what gravel was at that, or I didn't really know what gravel was at that point. And I thought it was going to be like a road race. And so I had to go because I was forced to go and it was 2012 and, um, it was amazing. I was basically taken care of and shepherded in by, um, Dan Hughes, who's fellow, uh, gravel cycling hall of famer, which Christy is as well. Um, but Dan kind of took care of me. He was like, here's how this goes. Here's how it works. And I ended up winning the race. I was third overall, just a couple minutes behind the top two men and was just like one, whoa, gravel cycling's really fun. It was a really a combination for me. It was a lot more mountain biking than I thought it was going to be. 
um, in just the texture of the road. And, and I loved the long distance of it, but, and I was also one of the only people, I was one of the first people to come to gravel racing with a truly like professional attitude of, I had a coach, I was a professional athlete. I had like, you know, crew that Dan helped me set up. And it was like, I treated it like a race. I wasn't mm -hmm. there to see if I could complete the 200 miles. I wanted to win the whole thing overall you know, and I nearly did it. <laughs> so I, I was one of the first people to treat gravel as a professional sport. Um, and so I won a bunch of races early on because of that. And again, there weren't a lot of women, there wasn't a lot of awareness. Um, but it, it changed my life because it opened a whole new part of riding for me. I mean, I live in Idaho and I've lived here for decades and all of a sudden there was this whole new terrain opened up to me in my hometown where I was like, oh, I could connect this trail and that trail and that trail. And I ended up launching Rebecca's Private Idaho. One, I changed my cycling and had more places to ride in the off season and in the shoulder season when it's muddy. Um, so I got to ride more and explore more in my hometown. And so I launched the event based on what I learned at Unbound and was like, wow, people would really like to see this terrain mm -hmm. out here because I'm pretty stoked on this terrain. I'd never ridden in the, these places. So I came home and was just like, this is cool. I always thought I'd host a mountain bike event, but I'm going to do a gravel event. And I called some friends uh, and Christy was one of them. I'm like, do you think people would come? Should I do this? And everyone's like, yeah, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> that was 12 years ago. And we launched Rebecca's Private Idaho really because of the inspiration I found um, going out to Kansas and riding Unbound and and seeing the possibilities. And the reason I didn't do a mountain bike event and I wanted to do a gravel event because it was so clear to me that I could invite more people. Yeah. You know, mountain bike single track trail, you know, one, you impact the community a lot and you can only fit so many people. And I was like, and it's intimidating. Not everyone mm -hmm. knows how to ride a mountain bike, has a mountain bike. I'm like, people could ride anything they want on these roads and everyone can come. So that was the motivation of launching Rebecca's Private Idaho and making it, yes, I invited elite athletes, but really just wanted everyone to be able to be on the same, you know, playing field. And that was 12 years, 12 years ago. Yeah. So Christy, you played a big role in that and you came to the first one and really helped me and helped launch it and provided the support and and came into the Be Good Foundation, which, you know, as a founding board member. So I can look back, not just at the athletic career, but, you know, my entrepreneurial career and be like, oh, yeah, there were women along the way yeah, and, and supportive men, but women along the way are like, yeah, you can do this. I'll help you. And you were one of those people, Christy. It's well, I appreciate crazy. that. I mean, that like <laughs> the, the invitation for folks that don't know when I was one of the initial MTB Lau um, participants, I think my nickname on that was crash test Christie. <laughs> I, I crashed so many times, but that invitation, um, I think it just kind of speaks to exactly what you're talking about, where I was not a mountain biker and that was, I didn't even have a mountain bike. And, you know, when Rebecca Rush invites you to something like that, my first inclination was I can't do this. Um, that's crazy. There's no way I can go ride, um, trail over in Laos. Um, but I had some other stuff happening in my personal life and was just like, I'm going, I'm going to do it. Um, 
you know, I unfortunately broke my wrist on the <laughs> second day, not the first day, but the second day. And it was just, it was, a, it was really, really hard, um, for, for me personally, but also just really gave me an opportunity that, that I seized because, you know, you presented that opportunity in front of me and it, it, it made me decide to do more with gravel cycling and getting women on bikes, um, for sure. And, you know, I, I, that we launched 200 women, 200 miles while we were, while we were over there. Um, yeah. and I came back for, to that having, getting ready to go into, to the, what all of the guys on the team thought was going to take three years to see, to see it take three hours. And it's just like, you know, when I think when you get women that encourage you and push you and lift you up and give you opportunities and you, and you take those opportunities, we're a pretty powerful group. Um, and it's exciting to watch what those changes have led to, uh, you know, in gravel cycling in particular and the, and the women's field has become something to be proud of. Um, and it's just all those little nudges of us just kind of, it's not, not taking no for an answer. It's, it's blazing the, our own trail. Like, no, we can do that. No, we can do that. You know, you're, you're one of the, you're the only athlete that has won every single distance at unbound, um, and came with that XL initial class, um, you know, to, to win that. So you've literally won the 100, the 200 and the XL. You need to come back and do the 50 now that it's a race. Gonna say, they're <laughs> running the race this year. 50. That's going to be too short for you. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's, it's just really cool to just look back over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, um, and, and see the fact that, wow, this is insane the, the impact that, that we've been able to have, um, not just on each other, but just in women getting on bikes and, you know, getting to know Catherine and watching what girls gone gravel has been able to do. And just, it's just all a result of like women not taking, I don't want to say that no for an answer. It's just deciding that it, we don't need, we don't need anybody's permission. We've got each other to, to get it done. So. I think it's, yeah, we don't need anybody's permission, but I'll, I'll tell you, it's pretty exhausting to try to yeah. alone. It's yeah. really exhausting. And I've done that for a lot of my career. And but we don't need to. The great thing about women is they're like, oh, well, I know somebody who can do a website or I know somebody who can do that. I mean, as scared as you were to go to Laos with me, <sighs> that's as scared as I was to launch the Be Good Foundation. And you were like, no, you can do this here. OK, and we'll build this business plan. And, you know, so I think women yeah, we don't take no for an answer, but often it feels like, well, but I don't have the answer and I don't know where to find it. Yeah. And women are so great about opening We're you know, we're community beings, we're, we're sort of communal beings. And I think a lesson that's been good for me to learn as I mature in my athletic career, this has happened. And in my entrepreneurial career is that we're not competing against each other. No, we are not. And I, I've, competed against people at other parts of my career and early on in my sports career. And then I started to realize, you know what, if I'm prepared and I'm ready and someone else is actually better than me, like, that's okay. Like they can lift me up and I can still be proud of my performance and how I'm doing and that there is room for all of us there. And so that's been a, a really great sort of maturing and people know me, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm competitive hundred percent, but competitive with now with myself and how well I can do versus being better than somebody else. The measure isn't somebody else. 
And, you know, that's for women who go to events all the time, like, well, I don't want to be last. I don't, you know, I don't, you know, oh, I don't race. I don't want to, I don't even want to be timed. Don't even time me. And at RPI, I'm like, well, we have to time you because it's the only way we actually know if you come back because of the, because it's so remote, there's no cell coverage. Like the timer is your safety mechanism, but, um, often, you know, race is a four letter word for people and, and really you're not competing against anyone but yourself. And I, I always tell people when you get in a group of people, there's an energy that lifts you up that you don't have on your own. Mm -hmm. You know, you experience it in a group ride, you experience it at the start of a race where there's an energy and it's an energy that's lifting you instead of an energy that's trying to like squelch you down. And I really love that about gravel. Yeah. One person crosses the finish line first, but everyone can win. You know, it's, it's, what is your definition of winning of completing, competing, you want to try to be first. That's great. Those are all super valid, but not everyone's trying to like push you in the gutter and like squelch you and like get you out of the way. Most people are actually pretty stoked to see large crowds and especially large groups of women. And I think yeah. it's so important when people sign up for events that they come in with that attitude of excitement versus fear or, you know, overly competitive. And I'll, I'll stop talking in a second, but the, our emotion of fear um, in, in neuroscience, the neurochemistry that goes on in your brain between anxiety and um, excitement, it's the same. It's the same neurochemicals, it's the same process happening in your body. The only difference is how you frame it. And so excitement, you're like, yeah, yeah, it makes your heart is racing. It's the same thing of you being like, oh, I'm anxious. And the only difference is what you're telling yourself in your head. And so I think that's an important thing to remember on the start line or when you're signing up for something or you're going to go to Laos with Rebecca Rush or you're going to start a business. <laughs> Excitement's actually, if you feel that you're like, oh good, I'm excited instead of, oh God, I'm anxious. I was both. <laughs> Which it's is okay. This, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be framing, both. you know, but yeah. yeah, for sure. No, you're right. I think I like 12, about 12 years ago, I did an Ironman and I, one of the things I regret from like that first season of training is I trained so much out of fear. Like, what if I don't finish? What if I don't finish? And when I shifted that and I had confidence, I was like, I'm going to finish this thing. It just changed the way I approached training. Mm -hmm. Right. It was like a subtle shift because I yeah. still didn't know if I was going to finish. I'd never done one before, yeah. but I was like, I'm going to finish this. Like I'm going to do it. Um, I had way more fun yeah. coming from that, from that state of mind. And just like, let's see what I can do today. You know, like I would always like play this game with my coach, like, oh, do you think you can make it hard enough for me? You know, in my mind where I was like, I'm dying. <laughs> but, you know, like there's not like it just shifts your perspective so much. And um, I think that's so important as women is like just having that confidence when you go into something. Yeah. And yeah. that's like going back, trying to trying something for the first time. I mean, I know you have a pretty big group coming to private Idaho of Girls Gone Gravel. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, we have a pretty big group and um, we'll talk about this a little bit more I'm on the intro, but we, uh, and we'll put it out in a social media post, but we are not doing a gravel festival this coming year. There's just things that we couldn't, we couldn't swing up with everything else going on and feisty. Um, but we did want to have a place for the community to gather. And so when a group started talking about Rebecca's part of Idaho, I was like, well, this just makes sense. Like if people want to come do an event, um, 
everything I see is like, it's a great party anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just going to join the party. So anybody is invited to come join us um, up in Ketchum this summer. Um, maybe share a few of the highlights about the race, Rebecca, if people haven't seen it. There's a lot on social media that they can find, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great, and I love, yeah. If someone, why have, why do your own gravel festival when there's all, all there's there's already one gravel <laughs> festivals happening already, you know, and I, that's another thing I'm learning as I, you know, as I get more experience is collaboration is pretty key. And then we don't have to all work as hard if we're, so I love that you're bringing the gravel festival folks our way and, um, private Idaho, you know, I named it that because when I was out scouting for courses, I was just like, I saw no one. I saw no one, just me I, on my motorcycle, you know, going around trying to put courses together. And I saw antelope and, you know, but no people. And I was just like, wow, this is really unique. Um, and I, that is one of the most unique aspects of the course is the remoteness and, you know, where we go on course is on the long day on Sunday, it, it looks the same as it would have a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. There's no cell phone coverage. There's no homes. There's a few ranches, you know, and, and wildlife and mountains and it's untouched and, and so pristine and beautiful. And that's pretty rare, you know, to be able to, you know, really unplug. There's, there's no cell phone coverage once you leave the course, which I, I love. Um, you really unplug and, and really get a chance to connect with nature and just the riders around you. And it's a really solitary experience. And yes, there's 1500 people who start, but every year, even when I've grown it, I've added a couple more hundred people, a couple more hundred people. I go out on course and ride and make sure that people still have that pristine experience. And you do, you'll be out there with like five or 10 people or two people. And you're like, where is everyone? <laughs> I thought there were 1500 people, but, um, I really want people to be able to have that really small group, solitary experience on the course, but then come back to like the big festival party and everybody, everybody's there. So it's really, to me, the best of both worlds of like community gathering, but then also kind of a vision quest, you know, really remote experience where you're just like, I can't believe the scenery I'm seeing. It, it gets me every time. It like brings me to tears. It's so beautiful mm -hmm. out there. And so that's, that's the really what sets it apart. You know, it's this really small town, small town hospitality, um, and really remote. And I launched it with people purpose place is how, why I launched it. And we talked about the place. Um, I also, we talked about the people. Um, I launched a gravel event because more people could, could come and we've launched more distances, everything from a stage race to a 20 miler so that everyone has something to try. Um, and then purpose is the third P and that's, um, we've always been a fundraising ride and, um, especially for the Be Good Foundation, which is my foundation that Christy helped launch and was basically after I went and rode the Ho Chi Minh Trail, the most important ride of my life, went to connect with my father in the place where he died in the Vietnam War. Um, I came back feeling distinctly hearing his words, be good is how he signed all his letters home. But hearing his words that all my wins, all my podiums, all my everything I've done was just a launch pad to do more mm -hmm. with bikes and that I could take what I know and my experience and my exposure and 
help other people and really, really building community through bike is, is the bottom line of what Be Good does. And so whether, you know, our founding story is clearing bombs along the trail where my dad, you know, was dropping bombs during the Vietnam War, that still unexploded ordinance is still there. I, I learned of that and was just like, okay, I can do more with my career. And that, that has been a really, really awesome phase of, of everything that I do now is tied into the Be Good mission. And whether that's, you know, local trail building or bikes in Africa or, you know, scholarships for people who are trying to do bike adventures or get, you know, more women in BIPOC and underserved communities to bike events. So we do a lot of stuff like that with Be Good. And Private Idaho is our number one fundraiser sure. for the year for the Be Good Foundation. So we always have a big party and we've got a lot of groups that come. And so there's always an aspect. We're launching this year um, fundraising campaign so people can join like a pros team, you know, like if you want to be on Ted King's fundraising team for Be Good. And so that's another way to to build community because people love to ride their bikes, but people also really love to bond with each other over bikes and to invite more people to ride bikes. And so it's kind of this nice, beautiful circle. Um, I love that. Maybe we need a female pro that we can do a girls go gravel. Team. We do. And actually we're in search. I'll put that out there. And we're in search of people who want to lead um, fundraising teams who want to be sort of the team captain. We set up all the fundraising. You don't really have to do anything um, except ride your bike and tell your friends about it. So yeah, I'll put the call out right <laughs> I see Christy. Or... I see Christy's wheels spinning. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and they don't have to be pros. It can be whoever, but somebody who wants to lead a fundraising team, we, we're setting those up right now. So they can just reach out to me directly or through Girls Gone Gravel. Um, um and it's yeah. my hometown. So, and I will also say there are very few big, large cycling events that are founded by a female. I'm just going to give some props now founded by a professional athlete, female, um, you know, who's still doing that. I'm still riding with everyone and I, I will ride with everyone. And so it is, it is very personal, you know, it has my name on it. And, and my goal has always been that you feel like a local when you come visit and ride with me. So that's an yeah. invitation. <laughs> it's definitely uh, making this your vacation kind of trip. I love it. Um, it's a long way to go. And I will say to, to that to people, you know, we're remote and so it's hard to get here, which is a blessing and a curse. But so if you're going to come, you know, don't try to cram it into like two days, you know, take the time, spend a little time. Cause everything I hear for people who've come for the first time, like, Oh, I wish I'd stayed longer. Yeah. Or, oh, I wish I'd a hundred percent catch him. That area is not a place to see on just a weekend. You don't it want just, to rush through. Yeah. No, no, yeah. Uh, you don't. I'll be there a week there's if just, anybody wants to come too much, out. There's too much cool stuff to do. I mean, well, that's like, why I launched the stage race, quite honestly. Is yeah. To like, where else can we ride? What else can we do? And so, yeah, make it make it a week if you can. It's definitely worth, um, there's a lot to explore. And yeah. you might get to do like a flash mob ride with me or something. I love it. <laughs> we're, we're, we're all in. Um. I did also want to ask you, so uh, I know you have been chatting a little bit with Feisty with our team yeah. about a project because you had kind of a life-changing event. Was it a year ago, two years ago now, where you two had- years and two months ago. <laughs> Not that you're counting, um, <laughs> but on the Arizona Trail, I believe you uh, fell, hit your head and had a concussion. And that's been pretty, from what I understand- from my sources, Celine Yeager, um, 
<laughs> pretty life-changing. Uh, so I'd love for you to, to talk a little bit about that. Cause I think we're starting to learn so much about women and concussions yeah. and how little we knew, um, yeah. about concussions overall, but especially about women. Yeah. And Celine's the co-author of my book. We've been friends and teammates and ride partners a long time. So she's amazing. And the opportunity to potentially work with her again is super exciting and hopefully with feisty. So yeah, um, November 11th, um, two years ago, uh, that would have been what 2021. Um, I was riding a bike packing route by myself, um, on a really easy section of trail in Arizona. And, um, I just clipped a handlebar on a rock. Like I was singing, I was having a great day. It was like sunny afternoon. I was like, oh, it's so awesome. I was probably going, I don't know, 50, pretty fast, 15 miles an hour along this like cool trail. And I just clipped a handlebar. Um, and that sent me flying, um, down kind of a 10 foot, about a 10 foot rocky embankment, um, flung me off my bike. The bike stayed on the trail, my body, bounced on my head, bounced on my back, rolled a few more times and ended up kind of in this, in this ditch. And, um, I didn't lose consciousness, um, but I cracked my helmet and, um, and I was alone and there was in a place with no cell phone coverage. So I basically had to do a self extrication. Um, and I'm an EMT. So I was going through, I actually took a selfie. I was looking at my phone to like check my pupils and I was like checking my respirations and I was running my GoPro camera and just like, Oh, I'm going into shock. Oh, okay. Like if I'm going into shock and I'm aware that I'm going into shock, am I really going into shock? And so it took me a couple hours to extricate myself, um, and get out to a trailhead where I could call somebody. Um, and I did film the whole time and talk to my camera because I was basically like trying to save my life. You know, I didn't know if I, you know, I knew I had broken or ribs and I'm like, well, that could be punctured lung. And, you know, I hit my head, that could be brain swelling and my pupils are really super dilated. And, and so, um, it was pretty scary. Um, but by all sort of, by all sort of definitions of it, it was a mild concussion. You know, I didn't lose consciousness. I didn't have, um, a brain bleed or anything else like that. But I spent the last two years um, with really some long-term post-concussive symptoms that were, I wasn't really getting help for, um, you know, even from, you know, high performance sponsors were like, oh, well, we're working on a concussion protocol. And so even the access that I have to some pretty high level professionals, um, nobody was really giving me any good help or care saying, Oh, just wait. Oh, just stay off screens a little bit, you know, and I was doing those things, but really untargeted care. Um, and I was one of those people, not everyone has, you know, not everyone has long-term symptoms. I was one of those people who did and spent really the last two years really suffering and in a really dark place. And, you know, it was pretty bad. Um, but, I'm happy to say I'm, I'm sort of getting out of the weeds and I've learned a lot as we do through trauma or any hard experience, or when you fall off your bike, you learn what you did wrong and you get up and you do it again. And I've learned a lot about what's wrong with, um, one, how prevalent concussions are and people hitting their head, traumatic brain injury, and you don't have to lose consciousness to have a brain injury. It's a bruise, you know? Um, so I've learned a lot about it, how common it is and how, uh, 
poor the care is for athletes, general people. We think that if you're not a football player, and I basically was told, oh, well, you're not on the ski team, so we can't do that testing for you. I'm like, well, why not? I have a brain, I have a head. Like, what does it matter? And so I've learned a lot about how to advocate for myself, which is really hard when you have a brain injury. You can't research and Google online and look up all this stuff. And so the I'll sort of cut to the chase, but um, what I want to take from this experience is, and that what I want to work with Celine on is providing better resources for people. Use my story of the ups and downs and the try this, try that, try that, um, and really pull from some of the research, which is where Celine is great, and get it into a compiled place for people because there is research out there there a lot of it's with the nfl the you know hockey it's not with women yeah. there is a lot of research that's available it just isn't in a good place and it isn't formulated for for women especially because what celine's teaching me has taught me is that women um women's brains respond to injury differently than men just like any other part of our body might respond differently to an injury. And so my goal, we, you know, we've developed a podcast series, you know, eventually want to do more with it, but really to use my story to provide resources for people to take care of their cognitive health, whether you've hit your head before or you might in the future, um, because it's really, really common. And actually cycling is, is the, Number one, right up there with people hitting their heads. It's not football. It's not skiing. It's not these high impact sports where, where they're racing for people to hit their heads. They've got better helmets. They've got, you know, and we have great helmets, but it's sort of the average person that falls and bonks their head. Yeah. It's more common than a professional athlete who's in a high um, impact sport. It's actually more wow. common for a regular person. And we learned you don't even have to actually hit your head. It can just be the jaw. Like if you jerk really hard, it can jerk your brain. Yeah. So in your I head, mean, which is really yeah. interesting too. It's like shaken baby syndrome. Yeah. You know, it's like your brain is floating around in your skull. And so any sort of jarring impact, it doesn't have to, you don't even have to break your helmet. You don't even have to necessarily hit it. Often people think if they hit their face, that that's not their brain and their head, but it really is, you know, your skull. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, cognitive health and concussion recovery is a big area where I want to put some focus in to help people. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's very much needed. And I've, I've known other female athletes that have had trouble getting help because they're like, when they go to their doctor and they're like, well, I just can't train or I can't do this. And they're like, well, just rest and they're like yeah. or suck it understand. up stand <laughs> yeah. well know? i'll tell you the worst advice i got was basically to rest and and quite frankly the lack of movement for the first time in my life i basically like became a total couch potato for almost a year and that was the worst thing i could have done because it it changes everything in your body and i started getting back pain and knee pain and hormonal changes and mood changes and and quite honestly getting back moving was the best medicine I could have gotten, you know, that and a few other protocols to support the nervous system. But like being told not to move is actually really the opposite because um, movement is medicine. And so, so yeah, that's, that'll be a next big phase of hopefully communication. And, and again, using my experience to help other people. Um, and yeah, but thanks for asking. It was a hard couple of years. And honestly, a lot of people, especially pros, they don't want to talk about yeah. you know, 
the elephant in the room or that they hit their head because they're trying to compete, you know, they're trying to keep their job. Yeah. You know? And, and, and even not, even you don't have to be a professional athlete. People are just trying to keep their jobs. And if you say, oh, my brain's not working well, no matter what job you have, um, there's a real risk that, you know, so there's a lot of other factors as to why people don't report or good care and they can't get it. And, and they're not asking the right questions because they just don't know what to ask. And so I also want to normalize that, Hey, it's an injury. It's a brain injury. It's an injury like anything else that we can heal from, but we just need a protocol just as if you sprained your ankle or broke your leg or whatever else. So funny to think that we don't have that. We don't have it. I mean, I know, but it's like, how, how do we not have that? It's your freaking brain. Like it's, it literally does everything for you. Like it's, it does everything for you. So I, yeah, uh, my, I know this is, you were talking about the NFL and we, I was watching Kansas city chiefs play last night, go chiefs. But at the same time, like I have the hardest time watching football yeah, because it just, it just looks like such an incredibly bad idea. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we're literally paying men to go out and like, you know, hit their hit heads each on each other. It's really hard. Which is just really odd. And I mean, I had a friend, you know, when I ever bring any new women into cycling and some of them, I don't think the helmet thing is much of a thing as it used to be, but just wearing a helmet is so important. I mean, it's not the only thing, but it's just, it's so preventative. And I had a friend that was just like, I just don't want to wear a helmet. And I was like, you, when you're riding with me, you have to wear a helmet. Like that's like, I can't even imagine going on a ride with you without a helmet. And she went on a ride around the block, around the block without a helmet was turning into her driveway. The wheels went out from underneath her and she hit her head on the curb and was in the hospital for like five days with a brain injury. Like, I'm like, this is, I mean, she probably would have still had some concussion and some brain injury from that with the helmet, but like, just what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, that's, it's just to me, you've got to protect your head. You got to protect your head. Yeah. I mean, remember when we got into cars and didn't want to put a seatbelt on Yeah. like, oh, we got to put a seatbelt on really. And now you wouldn't even think of it. It's just this automatic thing. And yeah. so, yeah, hopefully that education is happening that, yeah, that helmet is very protective and there's yep. so the technology and helmets are amazing right now. Um, they've come a long way. And so, yeah, yeah, yep. we got we to wear helmets when, when yeah. we ride bikes. <laughs> well, um, this has been such a fun conversation. I think I, I have one more question. I don't know if Christy has any, but I just, I'm curious because of the long span of your career, going from adventure racing into cycling and um, just all the things you've gotten to do and be a forerunner in is like, when you look at the landscape of women's cycling right now, obviously it's a very exciting time. Um, What's your hope for the future in women's cycling? Mm. You know, I'm pretty excited about a lot of things like, um, world cup mountain biking is way more exciting watching the women's races than, than the men's. And they're seeing that in viewer viewership. Um, the gravel elite fields are really amazing with a really diverse, more diverse group of women. You know, it's not all pro roadies. They're coming in from lots of different places. Um, so I'm excited to see more women on the playing field that has changed a lot in, in many sports, what there's still some places to go. And what I hope for is that, 
you know, there are very few women in executive positions in the cycling industry. There's very few women event directors. There's very few women, um, you know, I'm one of the few women who was like, oh, you're, you're still, you know, in the, in the sports industry. Um, so I, I hope to actually change that landscape because there's a lot of women participating and I want them to step up and take leadership roles. Yeah. And that goes back to what Christy said is like, you know, forget the imposter syndrome or feeling like you're not prepared enough. And I'll go back to that mountain biking story. I started professional mountain biking when I couldn't really mountain bike. Okay. So that means women, we always want to be ready, you know, Oh, I need more training. I need more of this, I need more of that. And so I would do a call out to encourage women to start groups like girls gone gravel start, you know, apply for that position and, and normalize that we want to see more women in all aspects of cycling, not just on the start lines. And I'd love for us to stop saying, and I appreciate you, Christy, I think you said this, um, that you didn't say I'm the only female to have won every, you know, uh, distance of, of of, uh, unbound. You said, I'm the only athlete to have won all disciplines of unbound. And I really want to take that, um, sort of descriptor away. Like, oh, you're good for a female athlete, or she's a great female athlete. She's a great female entrepreneur. She's a great female. I mean, it's great to note that we are female because we are, mm -hmm. but I'm just a great athlete. I'm just a great business owner. I wrote a foundation um, regardless of gender. So I would love a time when that descriptor doesn't really need to be there. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> I, I, I can't really follow up that question. So good job, Catherine. <laughs> I'll follow up with a question and an invitation. Um, I know Catherine's coming to private Idaho and Christy, um, I'd love to ride with you again. So <laughs> hopefully that's in the yeah. future. And we just need to get Celine there. The party. Yeah. Oh yes. my God. That'd the be really fun. All there. She's thinking about it. She's considering it. She's okay. considering, and we will all be at Sea Otter, and we're Celine and I are talking about with Feisty actually doing a whole panel on um, traumatic brain injury at Sea Otter. Yeah. So I'm I really love it. Happy. We know a few other female cyclists that have had some. Yeah, we um, know a few. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, I will put in the show notes. We have a discount code. Uh, Rebecca's team has been very generous. They're giving anybody that wants to come out twenty percent off, and um, we may even get like a private course preview webinar with Rebecca. Uh. Um, as we lead into things and then we'll be having a big party out and catch them uh, for can about I a chef week it up so. for something. Huh? Can I chef it up for something? Can you do what? Chef it up. Cook, oh, chef. Cook. Yeah. I mean, if you want to cook for me, I'll let you do that. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> you can send me meals right now. <laughs> oh, I have an idea. So there's a culinary Institute at, uh, in Ketchum right on main street. Christy, it's this cool old historic building. Okay. And they host events where you, it's a culinary Institute. So you can use their kitchen, you can, and it's a, like a party place. I think that could be the girls gone gravel. Uh, party. I we like could do that. Idea. We could do a dinner there as a fundraiser for the be good. I like this idea for the be good like foundation. It. That would be good. That would be good. Be um, really good. Be so we're going to have a great time out there. So I hope that, that people will join us. And if not, check it out, make it a bucket list event, check out the be good foundation and be on the lookout for more information coming about concussions soon. Yes. And riding bikes, getting more people on bikes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Rebecca. That was a blast. We'll meet next time on two wheels. Yes. Perfect. <laughs>
You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.